Last year, together, we considered the Proverbs. And in considering the Proverbs, one thing that was clearly evident was that we were obviously thinking a lot about us and our responsibility, what we are supposed to be doing. A lot of the Proverbs are talking to us, telling us what to do. And it was my judgment that I think we need to take our eyes off of ourselves for at least a few months and pace them squarely on the Lord. Um, and what better way to do that than to, un- than to look at the essence of the God of Scripture. Now, this conversation we're going to have over the next couple of months, this conversation about the attributes of God, is is designed particularly to stretch our minds. It is designed, it is going to cause us to think. Okay, so why by joining us at Young Adults for this next couple of months, you are signing up to think. Uh, this is not going to be a time when we talk a lot about you and what you're supposed to do. We've done that. There's recordings. We've done a lot of that. But what we're going to be doing now is thinking about God as He has revealed Himself. And this is a a duty of ours because it comes from the greatest commandment. When the Lord Jesus explained the greatest commandment, he said, you are to love God with all your mind. Among the things he said, your heart, your strength, but he also mentioned your mind. And a lot of us are operating with a very deficient understanding of God. That's just general. Everybody's understanding is, we could say everyone is operating with a deficient understanding of who God is because all of us are creatures, and we'll discuss that in a moment. But for Christians, uh, especially, we should, God has shown us so much about himself that we should be operating with a more with regards to him. But a lot of, the, a lot of us are not. And when it, with this study of God, we've called it the attributes of God, but really it's a study of the essence of God. Now, I'll explain that in a moment. It's a study of God, what God is, what God is like, what is his qualities. When we, when we study that, we, we will, the, the aim is to stretch our minds to show us different categories that perhaps we have not thought about when we think about God. And I know a study like this, and I have to say this at the beginning, a study like this uh, uh, is, is not everybody's favorite. Let me put it that way. So there's usually two kinds of people that I'm talking to. The one person wants to come to church and then you just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. That's what they want. They sit down and they say, tell me what to do so I can get these blessings and get out of here. Right? Uh, there's a place for being told what to do because the scripture tells us what to do. There's a lot of commands. But there's also a place for thinking where the application is you change your mind on the subject. You understand what I'm saying? Change your mind. Don't no longer speak like this because speaking like this is erroneous. It is not true. It's an error. There is a place to correct our language and correct our thinking and to be careful with our language, to carefully construct things that are true. And to not just be glib and say things. At the end of the study, there are a few things that will be evident to you if, you're part, if you attend all of the sessions. There are a few things that will be evident to you. One, you have committed heresies. Just accept it. 
There are certain things that you have said about God that if you had said them, say, 500 years ago, uh, in Calvin's magisterium, you would have been killed. Okay, there's, there's a number of things that you have said about God that you might even believe about God that are entirely not true because the way that you have put Scripture together is wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying this because I think I'm a prophet. This is just the, the reality of us doing theology in the modern day when we don't contemplatively think about putting things together in a classical fashion. We end up making errors. There's a lot of times where you might have said something and you've said it in a way that is completely incorrect. And so we're going to f- try and fix those things. And, we, and by doing that, we're going to be trying, just peeling off certain layers, trying to understand who God is and specifically what God is, so that when we speak about him, uh, we, will, we will be accurate. And when we think about him and when we relate to him, we will relate to him accurately, Okay. Uh, this is, so this is good news in one sense because we're not saved by saying all the right things all the time. If we were, none of us would be saved. Um, but it is not an occasion just because of that to then be satisfied with a very low level of understanding of who God is. So what we're going to be doing is what is called contemplative theology. So there's a number of different kinds of theology study. In, in, in theology, uh, there are different, there are different uh, kinds. Um, you, you know the word, what the term theology means, right? A study of Deus, a study of God, right? Theology. So in the study of God, there are different ways you can go about studying about God and especially studying about God's word. You can do what we call biblical theology, which is a favorite kind of theology among Reformed people, and for good reasons. Biblical theology is basically this idea that I'm going to, in trying to understand the subject, let's say I'm trying to understand the temple, I'm going to figure out the temple from the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, what's the temple? And I'm going to trace that idea all the way throughout the scripture. So seeing how the Bible develops the idea. It's called uh, looking at scripture through the lens of redemptive history. Okay, I'm going to use a number of words. So just let me know if I used a word you don't understand. Redemptive history means that's what actually, what, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is redemptive history. It is the history of God redeeming people it is it is it is a con it's containing the history of god and how he has redeemed people over the ages and so when you look at when you look at uh, concepts developed over time you you think about temple for example you see the temple in you see the temple in eden eden was a temple where he was supposed to worship god and serve god and then you you, you keep going further What's the next temple after Eden? You see, you see where, where Abraham is, where God speaks to Abraham. That becomes a temple because that's where Abraham is standing. That's where God is. There's another language for the temple. You keep going, you find when Moses, uh, when God finds Moses in the burning bush and Moses is told to do what with his shoes? Take them off because the place that he's standing is a holy place, Right? You, can, you keep tracing that, that idea of temple is throughout. And then you come and then you, you take that through the tabernacle. 
you take that all to the you take that to the tabernacle, to the temple, the Solomon temple, and then the the the, the, the restarted temple later on with uh, uh, Ezra in them. And then you come to the New Testament, and we're told that in the New Testament, who's the temple? The church. But before the church, who's the temple? Christ, right? Right? Because Christ said, this, 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 um, this, this temple destroyed, and I'll raise it up in three days, correct? So, you understand what I'm saying? That's biblical theology, when you're tracing an idea all the way. And then the New Jerusalem will be a temple as well. That's what Jerusalem said. There's a number of different things you can do. You, when you're trying to understand the subject, you can say, let me start from the beginning and trace this idea all the way through. Then there's a second kind of theology, which is called systematic theology. Systematic theology is when you take a subject and you systematize it. You put it together. So you say... Temple, what is a temple? And then you put all the scriptures, not in order, but just putting them together. These are the elements of a thing that makes a temple. It's when you see a definition of a thing, like in a book, in one of those, uh, in those dictionaries. This is a definition of a thing. This is a, that's a systematic theology. But what we're going to do here is a contempl- contemplative theology, which is the way of theology that was done in classical times. Because that's the best place we have to find the questions and answers about God. And what do we mean by contemplative theology? Contemplative theology begins with an idea and asks questions. So, it, when you it, just think about the word contemplate. So, you, you, you're basically saying, what, what is, is this thing existing? What is this thing that's existing? What quality is this thing? What differentiates this thing from other things? You, you basically build the whole entire belief system or the idea regarding a thing based on contemplation through positives and negatives, canceling other ideas, canceling other things, asking questions and answering, and then building a, a foundation of knowledge based on those questions and answers. That's what, that's what it is. This is the classical method of study. In fact, you, you, know, you know the idea of a catechism, right? Catechisms were essentially, uh, that's what catechisms were. They were question and answers uh, to try and help you learn in a contemplative form. And you always begin with just the simplest form of an idea. Mathematicians should understand this even better than most of us. You always begin with the simplest form of an idea and then you keep expanding that idea and you keep expanding that idea until you have a full body of, uh, of doctrine regarding this thing. Does that, does that make sense? So that's what we're going to do. Um, and so you should have received something here. You should have received uh, uh, two pages uh, that have ten questions. These are classical questions that I've arranged in a particular way, and I want you to work with me. So if you have a pen, please do work with me because, that, because we need to be able to, um, uh, to do this work together. And then later I'm going to separate you into groups when we are talking about these things. So <clears throat> the first question I have here is, so that, that's what we're doing, Robert. So don't just jump into... Just don't, don't think scripture verses just yet. We're going to get to the scripture. For now, we are thinking contemplatively about the idea of God. And I haven't started it at the beginning where we would normally start. I'll, I'll show you just now where this contemplation of God begins. 
but I haven't started it there because we're generally we 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 already have we already are at the basic. We're already beyond some of the basics. So, for example, if I were to ask you the question, "Is God?" meaning, "Does God exist?" the answer for most of you here would be yes. Okay, a, and uh, and I don't really want to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, I feel like that's going to be a bit of a distraction on what we're doing. If you don't believe that God exists, let's talk in private, you and me, later, okay? But I'm working on the assumption that we believe that God is. That is, God does indeed exist. So then the next, next, next logical question, if God does exist, then the question is, here's question one here. Can we know God? Okay? Can we know God? What do you think the answer to that should be? Can we know God? We should be able to. Certainly we should be able to. But think about our knowledge of God. So think. Because I stole them from myself. I put them in the wrong place here. Okay. So I want you to think about this question. Can we know God? If the answer is yes, then you need to think. What kind of knowledge can we have about God? So... Here's a, here's a piece of paper. Here's a piece of paper. Can we know this piece of paper? Yeah? Yes? Okay? Okay? What kind of knowledge do we have of this piece of paper? By that I mean, to what extent do we know this piece of paper? Hmm? What did you say? Fully. Okay. So, why can we know this piece of paper fully? So you're saying fully, completely. Why? Well, okay, you can see it. Okay. But is that accurate? Everything that you can see, you can fully know. Does that follow necessarily? Think about that. Does that necessarily follow? If just because you can see something, can you fully know it and fully understand it? No. So there's, so there's differentiation. So the guy who works in a paper factory who understands from the beginning when they cut down the tree and their entire processes up until the end of this piece of paper in front of me, he can know it fully. Yeah? Are you with me on that? But you and I can know it to the point, only up until the point we know that this is a paper and we know what it is made of, but we cannot know it entirely unless we know how to put it together, how the entire process, what is all in here. Like if I were to ask you, how many percentage of wood is in here? I don't know. Do you know? Exactly. Somebody might Google it. Okay. So then we can know it through Google. Okay. Google will tell us this A4 piece of paper probably has, I don't even know what to say, 85% wood, uh, 10% water. No, it's not wet. Uh, I don't know. 10% colorant. I don't know. Who works in forestries? Help us. Don't let me languish. But whatever, however many percentages, right? You can figure, you can put it all together, this percent, this percent, this percent, and you know what is in here. So you know, you can say, we know this piece of paper because we know what it is made of, what its essence is. You understand? Okay. Uh, I think you can take that thinking and apply it even to people, right? Can you know a human being? Well, depends what we're talking about. If you're a doctor, there's a level at which you know the human body, right? Much more than others. 
But just because you're operating on someone doesn't mean that you actually know that person, do you? Like, do you, don't, you only know the physical aspects of the person, but you don't know the person. You don't, know, you don't have insight into his soul. You don't know his likes and dislikes, yep? The, oh, you want the mic? Okay. Um, you don't know his likes or dislikes. You don't, you don't know the person uh, well in terms of who they are. You just know the physical structure. So you know an aspect of the person, but not the entire person. Uh, a spouse of a person can know that part of the person much very well, but if that spouse of a person is not a medical person, they might not know the medical side of what, comp- what, of what the person is made up of. Are you following my logic here? Okay, like I said to you, we're here to think. We're doing contemplative theology. So, in essence, we can only know people to a degree, but it is possible to fully know a person in a sense. Uh, it is possible to know a person fully in a sense if you're married to them and you know their body and you know you've examined everything about them, every part of their blood you've examined, everything you can, you can get to say, okay, I know the essence of this person to a particular degree. So when we say uh, we know God, what must we immediately say about our knowledge of God? Please raise hands, please. That's uh, Yeah. Our knowledge of God is finite. So you, you packed a lot of assumptions in that. You're packing that, you're assuming that God is infinite. Because a human that you, is finite. So there is a way to know a human finitely. Because a human is not infinite, right? So you can know the person. Your knowledge of a human, your knowledge, your capacity for knowledge is finite. And the human in front of you is finite. So there's a way in which you can know that, correct? But your capacity for knowledge is finite and God is infinite. Which means you can't know God because there's a mismatch with regards to your capacity for knowledge and the being under the microscope. You understand? Do you see the difference? And so we call this in theology... Now, um, um, so that's, that's the one aspect of regarding us. How do you think God knows himself? How does God know himself? Feel free. Just raise your hand. Say it. He knows himself fully. Right? He knows himself perfectly. Now, this is what you're going to write down. Don't write down it. Just wait for me to tell you to write down. Because I'm explaining these concepts. But these are the words you're going to write down. Our knowledge of God is... Let's try another one. Our knowledge of God is ectypical. That's our knowledge of God. It's ectypical. But God's knowledge of himself is archetypal. Got it? Our knowledge of God is ectypical, meaning it is derivative. It is given. It has limitation. It comes from him, whereas God's knowledge of himself is archetypal. It is the, the blueprint of the knowledge of him. In other words, God knows himself perfectly. God knows, God knows himself perfectly. And so he gives us some aspects when he tells us that, that he is like this. He's giving some, us some aspects of what he is like. But he can never fully download to our brains what he is entirely like. You understand this? 
And, and I want you to think about this even more. Your knowledge of yourself, is it ectypal or archetypal? Hands up, please. Is your knowledge of yourself, is your knowledge of yourself ectypal or archetypal? Is that you, sir? Ectypal. Why? Yes. You don't know yourself fully. You, the knowledge that you have of yourself is not... How often you, you, when you go back to your dear diaries, and then you go and you say, yo, 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 back in the day, what foolishness was I? I didn't understand even myself, right? Exactly. But God's knowledge of himself, unlike you and I, is archetypal and not ectypal. Got it? Okay. The next question, question two, please follow along with me here. The next question. Where do we get this knowledge from? Now, remember the knowledge, we've just said that our knowledge is ectypal. And part of that is that it is given to us. It is not something that comes from within us. You understand? For it to be ectypal, it has to be given. It has to be passed on. Otherwise, we wouldn't have it. So if our knowledge is ectypal, then where do we get it from? Answers? We get it from the, get it from the Bible. And the answer that I want you to write down, I don't think this is in much dispute, but the Bible is only part of the answer. So I want you to think broader than that. Is the Bible the only place we get to know about God? Think about this and give me an answer. Where else is, maybe to ask the question in, in another way, where else do we get knowledge about God or information about God? Let me see someone has an answer yet. Yep. Nature. Creation. So we get information about God from the Bible. We get information about God from nature. And while this next category um, is still is, can be argued to be a part of nature, I still want to spell it out on its own. Where else do we get? There's a third place where we get information about God. We get knowledge of God, about, uh, knowledge of God from the scriptures. We get it from nature that we can see and observe. And where's the third one? Where else do we get it? Our conscience. Right? Our conscience. So there are three places that we get the, the information about God from. This knowledge of God. We get it through uh, the, the scriptures that God has penned down. We get it through uh, nature. And we get it through... Uh, uh, the, the conscience that God has written in our, has put in our hearts and the things that he has written in our hearts there. Now, these three things together, we can call them something together. We can call them God's self-revelation. I'm not going to write that down. I think you understand how to write that. God's self-revelation. This knowledge, this is answer two on your sheets. This knowledge comes exclusively via... God's self-revelation. God reveals himself in the scriptures. God reveals himself in nature. And God reveals himself in our hearts when he puts his law there. Okay, so in our, in, when he puts his law in our hearts, he's revealing something of himself. That's very important to, to, to think about. Our knowledge is entirely 
uh, our knowledge is entirely received from, from things that are external to us. Okay? We are not those who, we cannot judge this knowledge, we cannot create this knowledge, we cannot invent it or sit arbitrarily above this knowledge because of our stature as creatures, our knowledge of God entirely must be received. Which means that all we are in our, in our design, well, this, this means at least two things. And I want you to think about this. There are things that God has formed for the precise purpose to, of revealing himself. Do you understand this? Certain things that are designed for the precise purpose of revealing himself. We'll discuss that more when we come to God's simplicity in, the next, in two weeks' time. Let me not get ahead of myself. Okay, so now we've said we, we have knowledge of God. It is ectypal, and it comes from God himself. It's God's self-revelation. And the third question is, of what kind is this revelation? Okay? Of what kind is the knowledge that we have? So we have knowledge of God... It is a type that is received. So we've been given this knowledge of God. And God gives it to us through these different means. Which is him revealing it to us. What kind is it? The knowledge. By this I mean this. Is the knowledge of God. Ex- when God reveals himself and says I am like this. Is that exactly what he is? Or is, there, or is that what he is like, but it is not necessarily revealing to us something we can grasp? This is a bit complicated, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to push a bit further here. Uh, when God says, when God says, uh, my eyes see everything, is that to be taken literally? Meaning that from that statement... We can say that God has eyes, and those eyes see everything. Can we, should we take that statement literally? Hmm? So there's a vote for yes. Okay? There's a vote for no. Why should we... Okay, let me not, let me not get into it. A, the answer is no. Here's why the answer is no. Because of divine incomprehensibility and our creaturely state, this knowledge that we have of God is necessarily analogical. Analogical. The knowledge we have of God is necessarily analogical. The knowledge we have of God is analogical. It is not, it is not univocal. In other words, God reveals himself to to us in analogies, analogies. I am like this, I am like that. It is not to say that whenever, when all the time when he speaks and says, this is what I am, or this is what I'm like, that we are to understand that uni, vocally, as if it is a one-to-one. But rather, we are to understand it analogically. And the reason for that is because, you have to think about this, if God is finite, is infinite, right? We just said that. We said God is infinite, 
And our capacity for understanding God, our capacity for understanding anything is finite, right? So we are, we are dealing under our microscope. We have a being who is infinite. And yet we and our understanding can only go so far as finitude. Then how is it that God can point out, point at things and say, this is what I am, this is what I am, this is what I am. And we're not able to gather all of that information up and say, this is what God is, we've figured it out. Do you understand this? I said we're going to think. Okay? We can't, if God can say, I'm like this, I'm like this, and I'm like this, and then we just collect all of that together, and we put it in a basket, we can say, we've figured it out. This is, entire, this is the entirety of God, because He's told us, He's told us, told us. No, we can't do that because what, what, what stops us is the fact that we are creatures limited by finitude and he is incomprehensible, which we'll talk about. He is incomprehensible because of his infinity. Does that make sense to you? So, our, so then when God speaks, when God speaks about himself, we generally are to understand him as speaking analogically. And I need you to think about this. So if I'm teaching, if I'm trying to explain something to someone, right? And, and I, I try to explain something, and then I use an example of something else. I say, um, you know, you know Unotam, right? Unotam is very much, how can I describe Unotam to you? You've met, you've met Ukume. Yes, yes, I've met Ukume. Well, Nathan is much like Ukume. Okay? There is an analogy that connects with the person. Right? So there's, there's, there's two parties here. There's me and there's you. I'm trying to explain a subject, Nathan, to you. Okay, so here's a subject that is known to me, it's not known to you. You follow? I know a subject, you don't know the subject. You're on the other side, you don't know it. So I'm trying to explain to you this subject, and so I'm going to try and find a thing that both of us know, or that at least you know, and that, is, that has some commonality with the thing under the microscope. You follow? And so then I know that you have met Ukume, so I'm going to say, Ukume is much like Ukume. I'm using something else to describe the thing that you don't know. You follow? Here's the thing with God, and this is where it comes, with the infinity of God, and the greatness of His mind, and the majesty of His wisdom. God formed Ume so that we could understand him. Think about this. God did not create the world and he created the nature and everything. And then when he is trying to communicate to us himself, he says, what can I use to explain myself? Rather, God formed the analogies he would use to explain himself to are you following me? By this, theologians, particularly Hermann Barvink, says, uh, Scripture is entirely analogical. Okay, everything, not just Scripture, but even nature itself, is analogical. Everything was formed for the purpose of helping us, in our finitude, understand God, and not the other way around. Are, are you following this thing, thinking? Interact with me if you're struggling or if you want to clarify anything. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. 
So he created the concept of fatherhood so that you can know a glimpse of what he is like. He created, he did not create and then fatherhood happened, became a thing. Oh yeah, people are having babies. So now people, are, now people can understand what I'm like, I'm like a father. No, it was, it was the other way around. In his divine plan, he created the things that would help you think. So when he says he's like a father, that's the purpose. When he says he's like a nursing mother in Isaiah 49, that was the purpose of nursing mothers. The very purpose of nursing mothers is to show us something about God. They are not an end in themselves. Does that make sense? Are you, are you, are you getting this? The scripture is, and I, I need you, I didn't put this as a question down here, but I think it's necessary to understand. The scripture, and this is a quote from Herman Barbic, uh, <clears throat> but I'm going to add, I'm going to alter the quote a little bit. The scripture is anthropological through and through. Anthropological. The scripture is anthropological through and through. God speaks to us throughout the scripture in anthropomorphisms. So this is not one of the questions. But I'm just adding it here for completeness. Morphisms and anthropotactisms. It's not as easy as Proverbs, eh? <laughs> so, when I say anthropological, you know what anthropological is, right? Humans. Okay? So, logic. So, it is, scripture is, it's, it's full of humanistic, of human analogies for us. It speaks to us, when it reveals to us about God, God speaks to us in anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism is when you take something that is not a human, and you make it like a human to communicate something about it. For example, he stabbed the pen and it was bleeding. Okay, does a pen bleed? No, but you have just made a pen. You've, that's an anthropomorphism. You've, he said, you said he stabbed the pen, he stabbed the pen and it was bleeding. You're trying to communicate that the pen was hurt or whatever it is you're trying to communicate when you say that. But, but the pen is not a human, but you're using human language, you're, you're attributing to the pen blood and pain and suffering, etc. But the pen doesn't have that. That is the scripture through and through. The scripture has a lot of, of those things that we call uh, 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 anthro, anthropomorphism. God is God, uh, my right hand, my eyes that see everywhere. Uh, uh, you know, I repented, I changed my mind. He's using language that we understand, but it does not necessarily mean that he changed his mind. When he says that he, he changed his mind, or when he says that he, he, he had furious anger to try and use a word for nose, to show us nostrils that are burning, he's just using language that we can understand. It does not mean that he's exactly like that. It's an analogy in human form. It's anthropomorphism and anthropopathism. Anthropopathism is the negative. God is not like a man that he should lie. 
Anthropomorphism is when it says he's like a man in having arms, a heart, a mind, eyes, etc. Anthropopathism is when he's making a distinction. No, I'm not like you because you people are like this. God does not have a body that you could hurt him. God is not a man that he can be exhausted. Right? He, does, he doesn't sleep nor does he slumber. You understand? He's not a man that he should lie. So it's anthropopathism. Whenever you're reading, in general, not all the time, and I'll show, you, I'll show you the keys here. Not all the time, but in general, when you're reading in the scripture, and something is said about God, it falls into these categories. And these categories, and others, when he's using animals, and other things, and trees, and so forth, all of them fall under the analogical nature of scripture. Meaning that it's all just trying to find something, not finding, but he created something, to help us understand what he's like. Are you with me? Let's soldier on unless there are questions. Let's soldier on here. Uh, okay, so if this, if this knowledge is so accommodated, we're in question four. If this knowledge is so accommodated, can it be said to be true? So, imagine, so if we're saying that the knowledge, the, the revelation of God, and, and therefore the knowledge that it imparts, is so accommodating. Everything, we're, a lot of the things that we're seeing, the things that we're seeing about God, they're, general, they're all just, he's like this, he's like that, he's like that, but we're not really getting to see exactly what he is. Then is it possible that it can be said that it's true? Well, yes. While it is analogical, it is propositionally literal. That's the space in your page. Propositionally literal. While the language is entirely analogical, it is propositionally literal. By that I mean, what it asserts about God is true. You follow? So just because it used an analogy, does not mean that it necessarily is true. It, there is a literalness to it, and that literalness is this, that it is, what it is asserting is the truth, but it's using a picture to explain that to you. Does that make sense? Clear? So if I say, if I say to you, the third party, uh, I'm saying to you that Unotan is like Upume in this sense, well, I'm telling the truth, but I just use Upume as an analogy. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, that I'm lying just because I use an, an analogy. Does that, do you follow with that? Let's move on from that. Uh, what is the historical theological order of inquiry regarding God? I should have done this as question one. I forgot to take it up. We've, we've done this in a sense. So you have the answer five. Do you see that? And deus sit, quid sit deus, qualis sit deus. Meaning, is God, that's and deus sit, so you can write that there. Is God and deus sit? What is God, quid sit deus? And, and what is God like? Or what is God's quality? Qualis sit Deus. Whenever we're doing contemplative theology about God, we're always gonna, we, you're just going to have to get comfortable with, with Latin because that's the language in which most of these, um, uh, a lot of these um, uh, questions were raised up in. And so we, use, we still use Latin in theology to try and understand these things. So we, so we, we agree that God exists and we are going to now delve into what is God and what is God like. 
the, we could also ask, I think I forgot to add even there, who is God? We could also add that, but that's, uh, that's not really for our discussion regarding uh, the attributes of God. The attributes of God don't answer who is God. They answer what is God and what is he like. That the name of God, Yahweh, answers the question of who is God. Okay, so question six. Uh, with all of this then, can we know the essence of God? That is, can we know what God is exactly? We have all of these analogies. Is it possible then for us to know what God is exactly? Now, before you answer this question, I want to show you something. So I'm going to need a number of different volunteers here. I'm just going to choose my own volunteers. You need to open your Bibles. I want to show you these things. Uh, One person, uh, let's say you, Odka, open for me Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. Okay. Um, Mobile, please open for me John 4, verse 24. Okay. Um, uh, who am I going to... Yes, Sage, I'm going to ask you to open for me 1 John 1, 5. 1 John 1, 5. Let's pick on Tanatua. Tanatua, can you open for me 1 John 4, 8? Okay. Uh, yeah, well, let's, let's leave it there for now. And now, guys, please listen to all these verses, yeah? Okay? I'll send you the full document that has these verses. Don't, don't scramble to write them down. Uh, just, I want you to listen. Because I want, the, I'm going to make, I'm going to get all these people to say these verses twice. And I want you to tell me what's common between these verses. And I want you to listen closely. And I want you, when you're reading this verse, read it slowly for us. Because I want us to find the, common, the commonality between these verses. Okay, uh, let's start. Deuteronomy 4.24. Bro, it's going to take forever. <laughs> Is it, can't you just sit there and it'll pick it up? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, it's just going to, it's going to take forever too. Go ahead. Deuteronomy 4.24. Stop there. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. John 4, 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I'm doing this for your recording. Okay, I'm just repeating for the recording. 1 John 1, 5. God, yep. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Did you catch it? Did somebody catch it? What did you catch? Tell me. Raise your hand, please. What? Is. For the Lord your God is. A consuming fire. He's not like a consuming fire. He is it. For God is spirit. God is light. God is love. These things are what God is. And so we can say yes. 
We can know the essence of God, but ectypally, not fully. You follow? We can know what God is, is. We can know what God is. We can know his essence. He has revealed his essence because he tells us what he is. And those things that he tells us that he is are what we call the attributes of God. You follow me? Those are the attributes of God. What is God and what is God like? Those are things that tell us the attributes of God. So what are the attributes of God? Question eight here. I'm going to move along now because there's a, a lot of work for you guys to do in a moment. Let me read for you from the confession, our confession, the 1689 Baptist Confession. It lists, it and the Westminster list 18 attributes of God, what God is. Here it is. The Lord our God, I think you have it in your sheets as well, unless I didn't put it there. I think it's there, yeah. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. Okay, that's the incomprehensibility of God. No one can can comprehend him except him. He is a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin who will by no means clear the guilty. When we are trying to answer the question, what is God and what he is like? Paragraph one of our confession, chapter two, is a beautiful way of putting it. It put together all the scriptures that describe to us what God is and what he is like. And of course, the further paragraphs in chapter two, I would encourage you to go read chapter two of the confession. The further paragraphs go into more detail about how does he subsist in himself. Now, these are the attributes of God that we've just read. These are, this is what God is. It is not complete in terms of showing us his, making us understand entirely what he is like, but it is telling us what he is. So if you're thinking, you're trying to think, what is God? You are correct in saying God is love. You understand? What is God? God is holiness. What is God? God is incomprehensible. God is graciousness. 
And to think about this, you have to think about it in, in these broad terms. God does not possess these qualities. He is them. Think. He does not possess these qualities. doesn't have them. He is them. In other words, I can say about so-and-so, so-and-so is kind. So-and-so has a quick temper. So-and-so is dark-skinned, light-skinned. These are qualities that you possess. This is what you have. And this is the definition of parts that make up who you are. You are incomplete without, let's say, the character of, of your soul. You're not, you're not complete. I can't say that this is who you truly are if I have not also described what your soul is like. I can't say this is true, who you truly are if I have not described what your gender is. You understand? You are made up of parts. Does it make sense to you? Your part, one part is what your gender is. That's an important piece of what you are. One part of you is your nature. Uh, in terms of your, your character, your kind of person, that's one part of you. One part of you is what kind of blood you have. Your blood O, blood G. Is that blood G? <laughs> blood B, blood F. Okay? One part of you is your, your skull size or skull type or skull shape. One part of you is your ethnicity. One part of you is your big eyes, small eyes, incomplete eyes. One part of you, you understand what I'm saying? One part of you is hair follicle or lack of hair follicle in some. These are all parts that make you up. And if I don't, if I don't uh, explain, if I don't describe one part of you to somebody else, I've painted an incomplete picture. And you cannot be complete without all of those parts. God is not so. God, God is not made up of parts. God is these things. That's why the scripture is very careful to say is love. God does not have love. God does not subscribe to love. He is love. God does not have wrath. God does not have wrath sometimes and low wrath sometimes. He is wrath. Are you following me? God does not have infinity. One part of him is the fact that he's infinite or he's eternal. No, he is those things. Those things are what he is. And so when we're thinking about these quality, about these attributes, don't think parts in God such that without these parts, God is incomplete. No, God is completely love. He is entirely wrath. He is entirely light. He is entirely incomprehensible. He is entirely infinite. That's what God is. It's very important to make those distinctions because if you don't make those distinctions you're going to have a God who is made up of parts and we'll discuss that next week when we discuss the simplicity of God now I I want to do I want to we have some time great I want I'm going to you guys are going to work for me in a moment but I need to just do this uh, before we get to where you guys do some work uh, question nine on your sheets does the scripture or history uh, give us a clear way to organize the attributes? And the answer on both counts is no. The scripture does not put these attributes in an organized fashion for us such that we can understand them. The scripture just tells us them 
and then we have, to, we have to do the work of theology ourselves and putting them together in categories. In history, even during, after the, even uh, the patristic scholars, uh, Augustine, and the church fathers, and, uh, and uh, the reform, post-reformational uh, scholars, Calvin, and, and, um, and Zwingli, and Turretin, all of these guys, they, had, they also did not have a unified way of putting them together. There are commonalities uh, uh, in terms of the schemas that they had, but they don't really, it's not like there's one. The one that people seem to think is the layman, if you ask the layman, which, what's, how do you separate or, or describe the, the, the attributes of God? How do you categorize them? The, there's one that's made popular by some theologians, which is the communicable and incommunicable attributes. Have you ever heard that phrase? Communicable, incommunicable. And the idea with those is, Communicable is these are attributes of God that God can communicate to people and give to people and people can be like God. But these are some, some of these attributes are incommunicable. So God cannot make you infinite, but God can make you loving. Right? That, so that's, that's one. But it's only very few people in history have held that. Uh, there's many other uh, ways of putting them together. So we, when, whenever you come to this subject... Of, of the, because there's so many of these attributes, you need to find a way of organizing them, okay? You need to find a way of saying, okay, this is how I can uh, categorize them so that I can actually have a, an idea of what I'm talking about here. And theologians generally have different ideas. Uh, but of the schemas that I have that, are, that we can follow, the one I think that is really good is uh, Dr. Sam Waldron's scheme, uh, which I think is really good. It's also one that has, was, was purported, at least in, in its initial form, by John Owen. Uh, and others, of course, all the scholars, of course, would, would agree with this. Maybe we would not put it in the way that Dr. Waldron has put it. But um, I, I really like Dr. Waldron's one. For the real reason, the main reason that he's my lecturer. So, so that's, the, that's the only reason why I like them. He made, when he explained them to me, it made sense. And I said to him, this is how I'm going to teach my people. So, um, so, but there are other schemas out there. But this is a good schema, I think. And, and you'll see how it makes sense. So in Dr. Waldron's schema, there, uh, and this is not just him. So in Dr. Waldron's schema, there are two kinds of attributes revealed in three phases. Okay? Two kinds of attributes revealed in three phases. Here are two kinds. It's, it's, uh, it's absolute. So these are the, these are the kinds. Let's just say kinds here. Uh, this is the absolute what is called ad intra, and I'll explain that to you in a moment. And the other one is economic or relational. Uh, 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 relational. 
These are the two kinds. Absolute attributes of God are the attributes of God that are immanent in Him. So these are the ones that are just in God. This is what God, this is, these, these attributes are talking about what God is without differentiating with regards to any kinds of relation with anybody. And then the relational ones are add extra, meaning that they are dealing with God's relation to other beings. Okay? It will make sense just now in a moment. Just hold on for a second. And then the next part of it is that there's three phases that these are revealed in Scripture. Three phases. Three phases. Three phases, two times. These three phases are imminent in God, imminent in God, uh, revealed Revealed in original creation, and then revealed, revealed in restoration, that is after the fall. Okay. With the, in these phases, they are, they are attributes of God which are absolute and relational that are revealed, firstly, in imminent God, that is, without God considering other beings, and then that are revealed in creation, in the original creation before sin came, and then there are some that are revealed, that are absolute and relational, that are revealed in restoration. You with me? So we have to think about it this way. Um, and let's make, so if we, you, you see now, let's uh, distribute these and make you guys into groups. And you'll see what I want you to do. Distribute let's make groups of like four. Let's see if we can make groups of four. So let's make groups of four, groups of four. Let's see what we can do. Um, and I want you guys to have one scribe and do this for me. Uh, now, uh, well, let me do let me do it this way. What you have, in, what you're gonna get in front of you. Scripture talks about these just when God is there. Just when God is there without creation. And, and so those attributes you've got absolute here and you've got relational. 
Okay, then you have, you've got, you've got revealed in original creation. Okay, we've got an absolute and relational. Okay, then you've got revealed, revealed in restoration. That is when God is now trying to fix this creation. And there's absolute and then there's relational. Okay, two kinds, like that, like that, but they, they, show, they show up in three phases. Just in God, just in, in, um, in creation before the fall and creation after the fall. When God is trying to fix everything. Now I want you to, let's make an example and I want to show you, this is what I want to do. Let's talk about love. We've already spoken about love. Think about this with me. Um, love. Does God, where do you think love falls here? Is love, is love something that God is, that the scripture tells about God in here? Or does love have to be here or here? Hands up, please. Where, where is love? Here, let's first talk about the phase and then we'll talk about the kind. Phase first. Is love imminent in God? God does not, there's, need, there's no need for creation for God to be love. There's no need for creation, or there is a need for creation. I need answers. Hands up, please. So we can control this. First, there's no need for creation for God to be love. Why? Perfect. Now, this is very good. God does not need creation or, or the fall for, us to, for, for, for Him to be loved, for us to know that He is this. He, he's just God in Himself. It was revealed. This is what He had. This is what He is before everything. Now, is that something that is just describing God as He is, or does it describe God in relationship? Here or here? Answers please, hands up. I think the answer is found in Percy's answer. Is it here or here? Guys. There's love within the three members of the Trinity. So God is love, and love falls under relationship because there's love within the three members of, of the Trinity. And this is why, and I'm going to make this statement, and you need to really internalize this. Can somebody love if he has always existed, not needing to love anything? Or rather, let me ask the question in a different way. Can somebody be personal if he has always existed, not needing to love anything. Can't. To be personal is to love, or hate, right? To love. And so, there is only one God in all the, 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 the religions of the world that logically can love before he creates. Are you following me? There's only one God in all, the, in all the, the systems of gods that can actually love and be loved before He creates anything. Why? Because He exists in three personal subsistences. 
He exists in three persons. He is the only true, loving, and therefore personable God because He has three personalities within Himself. Does that, does that make sense to you? You cannot be love if you can exist without needing to love. What is love? Can love exist without an object? Think about this. When you say you love, you love what? Right? That's a necessary question, right? You can't just be, I'm full of love. For what? You can be full of love for yourself, but is that love? Just love for, there's no distinction? No. It's not truly love. Now, it is love because God exists in three persons. Let's take, for example, uh, I want to take, for example, jealousy. Uh, no, let's not take jealousy. Jealousy is too obvious. Let's take immutability. Immutability. You know what immutability means? Immutability means God does not change. God does not change. Now, is that revealed to us regardless of creation? Or is it revealed to us in the original creation? Or is it revealed to us in restoration? Give it a stab. Don't worry about it. Give it a stab. Give it a stab. What do you say? It was revealed in creation. You're saying that it's revealed here regardless of creation. Okay. Now think about this with me. There's no creation. There's no creation. Nothing exists other than God. Is there a need then for there to be a conversation about things that change? Think about that. Because there's only one exists, right? So we're right now in the time or the era. We can only use those, like, those words, right? It's, it's outside of time. But we're now talking in the era where the only thing that exists is God. So is there a need for discussing change and not changing. There isn't. So it can't be here. We only get to properly understand the, the fact that God is immutable when we are considering the things that He has created that are subject to change. Are you following me? And so then it is revealed either here or here. Where do you think? Uh, answers, please. Both of these words are creation. No, they don't. Tanato? In restoration. Okay. Was there nothing in creation that changed? That, that could change before sin came? Was there nothing in creation that could change before sin Plenty. Plenty, right? Things grew out of the ground. Animals started small, went big. Plenty, so it's here. Okay, I'm showing you how tricky this is. Okay? This is very tricky, it's hard. Now, okay, so it's revealed in original creation. Is it describing God in terms of Himself? 
that, or is it describing God in relation to his creatures? I need an answer. Guys, just think about this. Is it describing God things that are in him, ad intra, in him, or is it describing God in relation to the things that are in front of him? In relation to the things that are in front of him. Is that the final answer of the room? You want to say it's absolute? Why? This is the answer. Yep. It does. This is why we have to think a bit more. Uh, what is it about? What What is it about? Immutability. Is immutability something that is just entirely? This is what God is. God is unchangeable. Versus. Well, maybe I should maybe use uh, 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 an example. Let's say, let's put it this way. Uh, let's use an example where it is, that will show this distinction. Uh, but I don't want to give you more answers. You know what? Let me just let you guys suffer. And then, and then because if I, if I do this now, I'm going to give this away. Because I, I do want you guys to do this work and, and wrestle with it a little bit, and then, and then I'll give you, and then we'll, we'll, I'll give you these, these unlocking keys afterwards. So let's do this. I think you understand what the task is. You have a basket of, of uh, attributes. Do you see that page? I had them listed there. Do you see them? I think there's a page of just an entire list of the attributes. I want you to do this, do this exercise and try and distinguish when first is it. When is it revealed? Is it revealed before, with, regard, with no regard to creation, or is it revealed in creation? And if it's revealed in creation, is it absolute meaning? It's describing something that is with its God Himself, or it's God in relation to something else. And I want you to also, uh, yeah, just put all of them in the right category. I think that you will generally probably be fine with putting them either here, here, or here. What you will struggle with is putting an either on absolute or relative. And we'll talk about that just now. So get into a group of four and let's do this exercise. Take all of them and write, you have spaces there. So write them in there and then let's, um, let's, let's work through them together.
Let's, um, let's work together. You can just stay in your groups, it's fine. Okay, I'm gonna call out an attribute. And, uh, and I'm gonna, and I want us to talk about where it goes. So that you can, and as we do this, it's gonna kind of give you, the reason I decided to do this task today with you is because I wanna today just kind of give us an overview. Part of what I wanna do in introducing this subject to us is also just give us an overview of these attributes so that we can start thinking about them. And then in the coming weeks, we will look at specific ones with, uh, and dig into what they tell us about God. But right now, I'm trying to think about these a bit more and I hope that we've achieved that. So I'm just gonna call out some attributes and I want you and I want you to tell me, I'm gonna pick on a group and ask you if you came to it and uh, where did you put it. Order. Uh, that group there at the back, where did you guys put it? Did you put it somewhere? Did you get to it? Where did you put it? You said manifested in creation. Relational. Okay. Did anybody do that? Anybody else do that? Okay. Did anybody put it elsewhere? Where did you guys put it? You said imminent in God. Where did you put it? Relational. Okay. You guys also do the same? Anybody else? Who did something else different? You said imminent in God, absolute. Okay. These two groups are the correct ones. If the order is here. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you now. Okay, let me tell you why. God existed forever and he has order within himself. He doesn't need, we don't need to know about creation for us to know that God has order. And what order specifically are we talking about? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's always existed as the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father is unbegotten. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, eternally generated by the Father. And the Spirit is eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. There is an eternal, there's an internal uh, uh, order within God. Whenever, generally, for example, you notice this, whenever you read in the New Testament and it says God, which person of the Trinity is usually talking about? The Father. Because of the order of, of, that's within God eternally. So it's order, imminent in God, relational. Okay? Sovereignty. Uh, let's pick on this group. You didn't get to it? No, it's fine if you didn't get to it. Guys, please, feel free, don't worry. I can guarantee you have nobody got this 100%. Don't worry. I'd be surprised if anybody got 50%. I'd be surprised. It's, it's not easy at all. You, you didn't get to it? It's fine. Who got to sovereignty? Did you guys get to sovereignty? Uh, anybody got to sovereignty? No one got to sovereignty. Oh, you guys got to sovereignty, okay? Where do you put it? You said imminent in God. Absolute. Did anybody get it? Get it? Get to sovereignty and have something different? No. Okay. Nobody else got to sovereignty. Okay. You're wrong on both counts. <laughs> sovereignty is here. Sovereign. 
What does sovereignty mean? Sovereignty means that God can determine things, can be in charge of everything, can organize things, can view a thing and, 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 and bring it to completion. That only comes into focus when we are comparing him to creatures, and creatures have him. There are, sov- there are sovereigns on the earth, aren't there? There's like even a, a nation is called a sovereign state. Or a king is a sovereign king. But he can only have it up until a point. Hence the relative idea. So it is here. It is, it is, it is, it is something that God has. But before creation came, we didn't need to talk about this. Because all that happened was what God was doing. There was no need to discuss it. Joe? Yeah, we only have to say now that there was a sovereign plan. Before, there was, before you and I existed, who have the capacity of making plans that are not sovereign, we didn't have to say sovereign plan. Do you understand? Think about it this way. Think about this, that this language only has to come forward when we're comparing him to us. We are not sovereign, or we are sovereign to a degree. We can, we, can, or we can have plans and we can, we can do things we can determine, but our control over the things that happen are limited. So it shows up in creation, and we have a bit of it, but we don't have it to the degree that God has it. God has it precisely and infinitely. Make sense? Yeah? Uh, let me ask you this, can humans and the created order be orderly to a degree? Is, is it possible for humans or, the, or other things that are created to have order in them? Yes. So that's why it goes on this side. It can't, it can't go in here. Or you're asking here. Oh, sorry, I don't understand. You're saying, can it also come in here? No, but but no. When, so it's it's about when do we first, when when does it come forward? So it's, we already know about it here. We don't need it to be here. So remember, these are phases. Like it's when do we start thinking about this attribute? When does it start to shine? Does it shine? Before creation, or does it does it like scream at us before creation, or does it shine only in creation or in restoration? That's what makes this a bit tricky. You follow? Yeah. So because it's already here, then that's then that, that settles it. We don't need to put it anywhere else. Okay? Ben? I suppose you can, you can say that in some way, but I mean, the, we're trying to organize it so that, we, um, so that we, when we study it, we don't reduce, we don't, um, uh, uh, let me maybe make, a, make an example here. When we, the reason we're categorizing it is so that we study it in its purest and most original form. We try to understand what it actually is rather than 
uh, going to other, going down layers and studying maybe its analogies or something that's on top, like that, that, something that's a surface level, not the actual what it is. So when we say that God is order, and then we just think about that in terms of Genesis, uh, Him creating everything orderly, that's great, that's true, but but that's not the that's not where it mostly shows us the purity of the order of God. The purity of the order of God really shows up in the fact that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that's when we when we understand we understand it. It's just like when we understand love, it would be a waste of time or it would complicate things and, and leave a lot on the table if you just think about love as God loving people who hate Him. Understand? So if you're just thinking about God loving rebels down here, you are leaving a lot on the table about what love is. Because love, yes, God does love down here, but that's mixed in with faithfulness and, and persisting. And there's other things going on down here. In its purest form, it's up here, God existing eternally in love. And if you study it down here, you're leaving a lot on You're leaving a lot on the table. Does that make sense to everyone? That is why we, we kind of have to try and be precise about when it properly shows up. For example, if you say, and I'm just going to give you this answer, if you say wrath shows up here, did anybody say wrath shows up here? I think we can all see why. Nobody would say wrath shows up here, right? Because there's no need for wrath here. But God is wrath. But when we properly want to understand wrath, we have to understand it in this context. Does that make sense to you? So that is why the, that, that is why these phases we, we have to be trying to be precise about where we place it so we can properly understand what we're talking about. And we have to differentiate between what only God can have and what we can have as well to some degree. Making sense? Okay? Do you still do you, do you see the benefit of the exercise? Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's a very good question. Did I say we'll study love in, in, my, in my schedule? No, no, but I'm just saying in the schedule. I think we said we'll study love. Hmm? Yeah, yes, I did. I said love, 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 yes. Yes, we will study that. I think it's the last session, so just keep holding on. <laughs> okay, just keep holding on. But, but to answer your question, just to answer your question, in... Uh, there is a discussion in theology about when it comes to all of these attributes, which one is really the one that is like properly tells us about God. This is what God is. This is the base attribute. There's problems with that question. You can't make that because they're equally said this is what he is. But equally, it's obvious that there's certain things that are that shine forth more in his beauty. Uh, than some others. So when it comes to love and wrath, the scripture overwhelmingly repeatedly says God is love more than it does say God is wrath because he is But it says both. And so there is a primacy to love. Some argue that it is holiness that is the base one. God is holy. He's unlike anything else. Well, that's wrong because when you're thinking about holiness, then you have to think about other things that have been created. 
if you say that moniness is up here, if you make holiness very important up here, you, you, you are messing things up. Holiness is not up here. It's somewhere down here. It can't be here because your holiness means unlike anything else. Is there anything else up here? There's nothing else. So it can't be the base, the, the most purest form of what God is. But a lot of people like to say that. And they're usually not confessional people. Um, but in any event, um, does that answer your question? And I think I'll answer your question more in detail later. Okay, let me shout out more here. We're running out of time. Uh, let's do an easy one. Uh, eternity. Eternity. Did anybody come to eternity? You guys came to eternity? What did you guys say? Sorry guys. What is what what is eternity? This is why you see, because you this is the thing. I, this is why I love this game. I invented this game yesterday, and I love it because it, 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 it's showing me your assumptions about these attributes. It shows that we really need to study these attributes because we don't know them. Okay. I would have failed just like you, trust me. <laughs> Eternity is in relation to what? Time. <laughs> Eternity is in relation to time. It's when we have to start thinking about the concept of time. What, has time always existed? No, so time can't be here. Which means eternity can't be here. Eternity... Eternity is over here. Because humans, can humans be eternal in any way? No. Hum- humans have a beginning, so they cannot be eternal in any way. Yep. Yes. But not before. No, 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 eternal, eternal, we had a beginning point. We, you're not eternal, there's no way in which you can be said you're eternal. You, you live forever, but, but you have not lived, eternally means, God, it's like this, it's like you've, you, you, there was a point in, there was a point in time. Think about time beginning here, have you always been around when time has been around? Time, time began here, where are you on the scale at some point here? And then you live on, you continue on, but you, there was a long time within time when you didn't exist. You live forever with the Lord, but you have not, but you are not eternal. Eternal as a think about it as an attribute. This being is eternal. This is an eternal being, like a, an age after age. When Jesus says, I am yesterday, right? I am Alpha and Omega. He's saying, I'm eternal. When, 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 when the guys come to him and say, uh, you are only 50, you're not even 50 years old, and yet you're saying that you know what Abraham thought and what Abraham felt. And what does Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. 
That is him claiming to be God. Nobody else can say, I am, in that way. When we say, I am, we say, I am now. <laughs> yeah? No, but, but, but now, but now you're, you're, you're talking about, you're not talking about eternity when you're talking about us living, starting at a beginning point and then continuing forever through the help of God. It's no longer eternity what you're talking about. You're talking about living forever. You're talking about existing, existing, and then continuing your existence. You're not talking about eternal. If something is eternal, it cannot be supported by other things. It has to just exist. If something is eternal, then it cannot, it cannot have had a beginning if it's eternal. Because it's eternal. That's the, that's the quality of, of what it is. Um, you are made of parts. There needed to be parts that came together to make you. Hence you're, not, hence, you're not ultimate. Your parts are more ultimate than you are because your parts came before you. Did you see this? So it's... I understand when you're just thinking about it purely in Merriam-Webster, it could confuse us. But you need to think about it theologically and philosophically a little bit and push yourself. I understand, I understand the confusion, guys. I, I entirely understand it. Yep. Yeah, well, when it says eternal life, again, it's analogical. It's saying that eternal life is a life of knowing God forever. He tells us what that means. He actually defines it right there. This is eternal life, that they might know God and Him you sent. So what is eternal life? It's not that we've always lived and existed like Christ. It is to know the one who is eternal. It's to know Him and have a real life with Him. So that's what, what that verse means. Can I answer? Yeah. I, need to, I get to live forever, yes. Knowing God. True, yes. But, but, it doesn't necessarily, but it doesn't change me and make me God in the sense of saying, now I can say that Jesus says, I am. Make sense? I, I'm not am. I am now. But I've never was. You see? And the fact that I will be is contingent on God's mercy. It's not just me saying, I was, I am, I will be. You, you understand this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love this, guys, because now we're getting to the meat and bones. And, and next week, we'll talk about simplicity and, and eternity. So we'll get, we'll, 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 uh, we'll get into the eternity question more next week. At two weeks' time. Yep. Yes. No, when we say we're going to live in eternity, this is what we mean. We'll, we'll live in a time when time is irrelevant. We will, no, 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 not outside of time. We will live in a time when time is irrelevant. Don't say outside of time. We will never live outside of time. No. Yes. We will live in time. The creation is here forever. So we're, we're going to live in time, forever in time. But you will never live outside of time. Because... To live outside of time is to, is to, like a husband with his wife, is to know everything from the beginning until the end. That's to live outside of time. You'll never be like that. But, but, you will, but you will live 
in a time when time no longer matters. But time will still be there. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it will still be. Yes. It, it, it's not mine. It's, it's theology's fault. <laughs> no, 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 no. The point is, etern- listen, there's, remember there's different senses to any word, right? In any language. So, when you, so it's fine for you to say, I will live eternally. It's fine to say that. It's not precise to say that. But it is fine, it's true. Um, there's a statement in, uh, uh, I can't remember who said this, but there's a statement that says this. Inexact statements about God are not necessarily uh, make us liable to charges of heresy. Okay, it is possible, even the Bible sometimes uses inexact statements. It, for example, an example is uh, what we call the communion of idioms. When you hear it says in the Bible, I think it's a Hebrews, it says the blood of God. Right? It says the blood of God. Does God have blood? No. It's talking about Jesus, and Jesus is God, but it's talking about the human nature of Jesus. So there's the communion of idioms, and so there are some inexact statements. But, we, but, but it would be foolish for us, just because we read in the Bible, it says the blood of God, for us to go around saying God has blood and can bleed in heaven. Right? It would be foolish for us. That is why we have to be able to weed through and put things in their uh, theological categories. That's why we have to do the work. You with me? I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I know. Don't, please, don't get frustrated. Enjoy the process. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, I just, because they were saying, I was talking about the state of the Yeah. So. Well, in Christ, well, even non-Christians will still live forever, but just in the in eternal death. But they'll still be conscious. So we don't believe in soul state. Like, you, if you're not a believer, you stop existing. You'll still be existing. You'll just not be existing. And that actually, that's a good point, my Lord. Because that actually shows us, it's called, when we come into Christ, it is called eternal life that we will have. That's a qualitative term, more so than it is a technical scientific term about time. It's a qualitative term compared to the ones who will be resurrected to eternal death. So the ones, some will be resurrected, but they will die forever, whereas those in Christ will live forever. So that's actually a very good point to, to make that distinction. It shows us that the word eternal there, and it, it is, it's used qualitatively. We will live forever, but there will also be a life down there. It's just that what we will be doing is real life, which is to know God, whereas they all have uh, the wrath of God on the See the distinction? That's actually a, a very helpful point. Can we continue? We have many others here. We have many others. And I know you probably didn't come to all of them. Uh, 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 okay, I'm really going to do an easy one now. Aseity, where do we go? Who got to it? You guys over there, you got to Aseity? What did you say? You didn't come to it? it imminent and absolute, exactly. Aseity is over here. Okay, everybody got that one? Yay!
infinity, infinity. Guys, 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 let's just keep this. Let's. I, I love seeing people happy. Infinity, huh? Did, did you guys get to it, Warren? You guys get to infinity? Who got to infinity? You guys got to infinity, yes? Please, what did you say? Imminent absolute, well done, yes. Yes, yes. Let's keep the fun going. Faithfulness, faithfulness. Which group have uh, we not come to? Uh, uh, say this group. Restoration relational, yes. You're Protestants. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what happened? Shows me you don't understand what the word faithfulness means. Yeah, because Fa- fa- faithfulness, faithfulness, because faithfulness is faithfulness. When we are called to faithfulness, we are called in opposition to remain steadfast, to continue on, to be faithful and say something and then take, bring it all the way through. God had no need to make promises before the fall. Think about the promises in the Bible. When do they show up? They all show up after. Right at the fall in Genesis 3. There's no promise before that. Because it's like... He didn't say, I'll give you a garden. He gave him a garden. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a consequence. It's not a promise of, I will be good to you. No, 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 you're using the word faithfulness. Faithfulness has to do with opposition. Faithfulness is not, faithfulness has to do with opposition. There's something that's opposing you in doing, in, in doing this. There was nothing opposing him. It was a natural consequence. He said, and in fact, in fact, he didn't die. He didn't die. God's faithfulness shows up after he eats it. God then kills an animal for him. He doesn't die. Yeah, but he didn't die. He, he, no, 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 no. In the, in the phrase that is used there, it meant you are going to be, you're, di- you're going to be dead. It's going to be the end of you. And he, and he didn't. In fact, we see God's mercy show up right at, the, at that moment because God clothes him with an animal, makes a sacrifice for him. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm saying God did not lie. God had mercy. He did not get the consequence he needed. He should have gotten. God, that, that's mercy. It's, here's the consequence of what will happen. Okay, now let's enact my redemptive plan. Make sense? Yeah, I've heard people say this thing of like, he died, really died spiritually. But the Bible doesn't seem to understand that in the context of Genesis. In Genesis, it's very clear what death is and what life is in Genesis. You have to read a lot of stuff into that for it to be. It's, it, it's mercy because what dies is an animal, 
not him. It's the beginning of verse. Instead of him dying, it's animal. We always talk about the, the lamb being killed for, for Abraham's son, instead of Abraham's son. But you have to go all the way back to Genesis to see the mercy of God in Genesis 3. But um, I understand, I understand, the, I understand the confusion, guys. Uh, uh, can we all agree with this one? And I think this is going to help us with this particular conversation. Patience? Patience? Did you guys get to patience? Anybody got to patience? You got to patience? What did you say? Restoration relation. Patience falls. Patience and long-suffering goes together with faithfulness. In fact, they are synonyms in some cases. Uh... Uh, okay, uh, let's talk about let's talk about justice. Justice, restoration, relational. Any other opinion? Who had who had who? Which groups had justice in restoration, relational? Just you guys? Did anybody else come to justice? It's just him? It's not you guys, it's him. <laughs> okay? Okay. Uh, justice of God is seen in creation. Uh, the fact that God is just, which means that he does what is right. So you, when you think about justice, you think about doing what is right. You don't need you don't you, you don't need to think about sin first before you think about that. Uh, you, you just think about doing what is right, following the, the right course, him being what is right, he is what is right, and we see that in creation. And of course we can have a bit of that as well. Um, truth. Ooh. Ooh, did anybody get the truth? You guys got the truth? What did you say? Restoration relational is <laughs> spiritual spirituality. Spirituality. Did anybody get to that? Sorry? You want me to explain truth? <laughs> truth is in opposition to what? Falsehood. When does falsehood become a thing? After the fall. Truth. He is... See, the, the challenge that I think we might be having with this, guys, and I understand. And this is why I wanted just to do this exercise. The challenge we're having with this is that we're dealing with two things. One, we're dealing with something that God is. And then now we're trying to put it as to where we should see it first. And that's very confusing. Because all of these things regardless of where we see them, are what God is. So that's what makes it so confusing. And please, don't be down on yourself if you're confused. I understand it. The reality is, though, Jesus has to say He is the truth when there is sin involved and lies and many others. He has to say, I am the way and the truth and the life in opposition to other ways that are not the way and that are lies and that are not uh, that are not the lives, that are death. Does it make sense? So that's when it shows up. It shows up here. And maybe what could help you is just when you think, where are the verses 
where we hear that God is this thing? Which, which verses show clearly that God is this thing? And then in that context, you, you can become clear to you what we're talking about. Uh, but I, I, I truly understand the, the challenge. It's quite a challenge. Let me ask you this one. Uh, knowability. Did anybody come to that one? Knowability. The fact that God is knowable. That people can know God. Oh, I've given away the answer. <laughs> God is knowable. It has to show up in creation. Is it absolute or relative? Relative. It's right here. Knowability. Uh, what do you... Oh, nobody answered me about spirituality. Spirituality? Spirituality, creation, relational. (laughs) Correct. It is revealed in creation, but it is absolute. The reason it is absolute is because we are not spirit in the way that God is. When God, if God is spirit, there's nothing that we are that is like that. There's no, there's no level at which we are spirit in the way that God is. We have souls, but those are created things. God is spirit, and that spirit is eternal. So it's very different from us. So some of it is just, you, you have to kind of know what it's talking about. So spirituality is talking about the eternal essence of spirit that God is. And there's nothing else like that. Yeah. So I, I understand why we're struggling with that. And you also have to think about it this way. You are you, and your soul, you are you. There's no conversation within you. But God has a spirit that proceeds from you. He can spirate. He, re- he has a spirit that has his own that has his own personality. So it's such a it's it's a very, very blank concept to us that. We, we don't even understand it. We have to watch. You see myself correct myself just now. And it is said a spirit that, that, that itself comes out of him. But I can't say itself. I should say a spirit that himself comes out of him. You understand? So that's a, different, that's a different kind of thing over here. So when it says the spirit of God is hovering over the earth, there's no spirit of a human that can go anywhere else. Okay? Okay. Uh, It was, it was after creation. But, it was after creation, yes. yes. But, uh, but, I mean, the, but the Holy Spirit was there before. Okay? But that hovering was after creation. But you have to remember that we, we understand the concept of spirituality. We think about the concept of spirituality when we think about all these other things that He's created. They are not spiritual in that way. They are not spirit in that way. They are matter. So God is spirit. We are matter. Maybe that's the simplest way I can put it. Yeah. And so it has to be incomprehensibility. Incomprehensibility. I cannot understand him. Is not make sure. (laughs) Where do we put incomprehensibility? Uh, Which group have I not picked on in a while? That group over there. That group. Did you guys get to it? You guys get to incomprehensibility over there? Okay, Nina over here. Hilda, did you guys get to your incomprehensibility? You, you said. Okay. Did anybody put it anywhere else? 
You said creation, relational. Okay, you said, you said restoration, relational, creation, relational. Did anybody put it anywhere else? Did anybody put it anywhere else? Okay, unfortunately you're both wrong. It is here. Do you know why? Think about this. Think about this. Are you ununderstandable? Infinitely. Is there any way in which you can say you are ununderstandable infinitely? No. You, you are understandable. You are knowable. You, 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 are, you are understandable in a particular way. So that makes it an absolute, something that only God has. And of course it is revealed in creation when there's now all these other beings that are, that are comprehensible. Beforehand, we didn't need to talk about it, but now we talk about it, okay? Okay, I think, let's leave it there. Is anybody in, in, in intrigued? I'm, I'm just going to leave it there now. We're, we're out of time. Uh, I'm going to send you the answer sheet that has all of these. But is anybody interested in knowing about one specific one? Did you, did you have a, a particular interesting debate in your group that you want to know so we can solve the issue right now? Okay, hold on, Satya. Wisdom. Wisdom. Where, where did you end up putting it? You didn't put it anywhere. Did, any, did, did anybody put wisdom anywhere? Creation relational is correct. Yeah. Wisdom is over here. Because the wisdom of God is seen in His creating work. And how it is. You don't need to wait for the thing to be. And we would not have... When God is only alone, we can't compare it. There's nothing else to compare it that doesn't have wisdom. So we don't have to talk about wisdom. Oh, that's no ability. Sorry. I just said it and I just did it. I'm sorry. But I'll, I'll send you the, the PDF of this, okay? So, uh, okay. But, but, but. Common grace and special grace. Where did you put them? Yeah. Correct. Common grace and special grace are both down here. Special grace is saving grace. The grace that saves people and makes them Christian. Common grace is grace that God gives to undeserving creatures. And when do we start seeing undeserving creatures? After the fall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I do, I think it's good, but, uh, no, 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 I mean, there's even a, a particular passage in scripture where there's a lot of word good, 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 good. Where, which, which, which verses are those? Creation, Genesis 1. So it's here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you see, no, that's, I understand you, but I understand what you're saying. But um, here's the challenge with that. Uh, common grace, by definition, is grace. What is grace? Undeserved mercy. So beforehand, there was no discussion about deserving or not deserving. It was God ordering His universe. 
God was just ordering his universe and doing things this way, doing things that way, saying, you're over here, you're over here, do things like this, do things like this. There's no discussion about deserving or not deserving. The discussion about deserving or not deserving only comes when sin comes in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, over here. Power. Ooh, yes, this was a fun one. I should have done this one. Did, did you guys get to power? I bet you people put it all kinds of places, didn't you? <laughs> so where did you put power? Creation, and you put it where? Relational, okay. Creation, relational, anybody put it anywhere else? Huh? Same place? Same place? Where do you put it? Restoration. Okay, the whole class is wrong. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. What do we mean when we talk about power? No. Power, we're talking about life force. Life force. Like the immensity of God, the life force. The fact He not only exists, but He's alive. And, and, and he's, author- he's got authority and power. Yes, He's got authority. So you can't use the word that you define in the definition. He's got authority, yes. But it's the, it's the strength of his life, the strength of his existence. That's what we're talking about, we're talking about power. We're not just talking about the fact that you are able to do things. So the reason it's here, it's not that because you are able to do things. We're talking about the fact that you are also alive, but not as alive as God is alive. <laughs> I know, I know. You see, this is what I'm saying. The problem, that, that's why I'm doing this, because... Part our challenge is that we read the words and we think we know what they mean, right? But we actually know in, in theology, power is talking about the, the strength of God's life. And the strength of God's life was again. That's, he, he, he had a strong life before anything was created. Uh, before I come to you, I think there was another hand. Was it you turn up? Why are you bring the question here? None. Very good. I catch it. There's zero, there's nothing here. Yeah. <laughs> because, because everything that's absolute that would be here is already where? Already here. You're, you're cracking the code because now you understand, you're seeing the fact that, that, that there's, there's nothing that within God describing God that has anything to do that could be said to be in the context of sin it's all it, it, that's within the context of creation and that's it but then these are things that are now that are communicated to us yeah so there's nothing there very good yeah you mean this power here because you also have power, but just to a limited degree. Your life, you also have life that's meaningful, that has, that has strength, communicated to you by God. By communicated, I mean given to you by God. But it's just no way near the strength of His power. Yeah. The, the strength of His, the strength of His life. Anybody curious about anybody, any, any other attribute? 
Which one? This one? Yeah. Okay. It's not on the list. Okay. Impeccability, I'll get back to you on that. Let me, let me think about that more. I'm not sure. Impeccability does mean that he cannot sin. But I just wonder if it's not, it's not, it's not already within another one of these. Yeah, I need to think about it some more. I would put it under impassibility. Because sinning is what? Because what is sinning? Sinning is, is, to sin you have to have undergone change. And you, and you have to have a passion. Yeah, I'd, I'd put it under, either under immutability or impassibility. I'd have to think about that. I think it can stand alone. But uh, let's, we, we, let's, uh, let's check back on that one. It's not on my list, yep. Under the second phase, absolute. Okay, holiness. Anybody? Okay, she's saying creation, absolute holiness. Anybody else? Fine, get to holiness. Where did you put it? Where? You didn't get to it? Imminent, absolute. After all that I said about holiness, where it is. It has to be here. It has to be here. Holiness is here. The reason is, you can, you can possess a holiness, a separateness, a difference with others as well, but just nowhere near or not even to the precision of God. Okay, guys, should we end it there? Yeah, Warren? Yes, yes. You- is pure, is impeccable, yeah, yeah, very good. So, uh, righteousness, if it was on this list, we would put it under restoration, relational, right? We would, right that's righteousness, because righteousness now is coming into full focus when we're thinking about sin. Holiness is talking about being separate, being different, being something completely other. And that comes in when we're starting to compare him to other creatures. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, guys, I hope you... Okay, guys, we're, this is very late. We should have stopped a while ago. Let me just, uh, let me just um, close us here in prayer. But um, I hope you enjoyed the exercise, as frustrating as it was. And, um, and I hope it's showing you your own... <laughs> you know, your, how, where this, this... You know, if you all got this perfectly, there'd be no need for this series. Okay, then I'll just be like, okay, there's no job for me here. Let's just play cards for the next six hours. But it shows me that we all are, even myself. Michael and I had massive debates about this recently. Properly. We nearly split the church. (laughs) Okay, like, okay. I'm joking. I'm exaggerating here. But we had some serious conversations about this. It's not not immediately easy. You have to think and you have to work. You have to put things in. and, And so, um... Uh, I'm, I'm trusting that as we go into these, that the Lord will, uh, will encourage us all and help us to, to know Him better, yeah? Let me, let me pray and trust our time to Him. Our Father, we do thank You for this time we've had together, and thank You that we can study uh, what You have revealed about Yourself. And we pray, Lord, that You would 
Firstly, keep us from error as we discuss these things and uh, help us to be clear and precise. And help us, Lord, to love you for it. Let's not just uh, feed our minds, but also feed our hearts as we think about you deeply and stretch our minds to think about what you are and what you have said about yourself. That also, Lord, our love for you might grow. If not just love, but also just awe and, uh, and uh, to surprise at, uh, at what you are and that we might all just fall down on our faces and say truly you are God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.